Hello, 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 and welcome. This is Talk the Plank, episode 94 of Pittsburgh Pirates podcast on Bucks Dugout. I'm Nathan Hirsch. I'm with Jake Slobodnik. It's been two weeks since we last spoke. Jake, how's it going? It's going good, man. Uh, I was able to arrange for a day off tomorrow from work, so kicking off a three-day weekend in style by recording a podcast. Uh, things are ramping up in terms of high school basketball coverage. So we're just prepping for that. Ultimately, man, just staying busy. How's things? Not too shabby. I'm very excited. Um, pitchers and catchers have reported for the pirates and pitchers and catchers report, but that's kind of code for everyone reports. It seems these days, uh, there's been plenty of position players at spring training. Um, not all yet. I don't think everyone has to officially report until next week, but it's exciting to see some of the video down in Florida of players even just playing a game of catch. Uh, after a pretty, I would say, exciting offseason by Pirates standards, um, I'm excited to see how spring training goes and uh, where the season goes eventually, but it's nice to... See the beginning, see the sunshine. There's definitely light at the end of the tunnel as far as winter ending here in Pittsburgh. Heck, right now it's 50-something degrees, and looking at the weather, it doesn't look like it's going to be below 30 for at least a week. So spring may have came a little early in Pittsburgh as well, although I don't want to jinx that. But, uh, yeah, I'm just excited overall. How are you feeling now that spring training has officially started? I'm feeling pretty good and I'm feeling good, not just because of the weather here in our local area. I'm also feeling good just off some of the things I've seen and heard on social media and pirates.com regarding the Buccos start to spring training. Um, I'll start with Derek Shelton. He already alluded that there, things are going to look a little differently in terms of the pitching aspects of things. Once the games start to get rolling here in the coming weeks and he focused really on the veteran presence. So we've seen in, a, in the past couple of years how the young guys, you know, maybe they'll send like a reliever to start the game as like an opener. They'll give a starter two innings. And then from there, it's just like a bunch of no names. I feel like this spring training, we're going to start to see more real game scenarios early on. Not so much to the point where pitchers could possibly blow out their arms in three, you know, in five innings. But I do think that we're going to see more consistent types of usage in terms of how Derek Shelton uses his pitchers. He's going to, I think, allow some of the younger guys to get their reps in, but also he's going to let, he's pretty much going to turn the wheel over to some of these veterans that he brought in. And I'm excited for it. Another thing I'm excited about, excited about already is the, the player responses to Andrew McCutcheon being at camp. Um, earlier today, and we're recording this on Thursday, February 16th. Uh, we saw a video earlier today of Key Brian Hayes playing catch with Kutch. Just shows that their chemistry has already grown. Um, O'Neill Cruz has been gone, has gone on record to, well, first he predicted that Kutch would come back here. And now he's like really excited that he's back here. And this is coming from a potential grade in the game. They're excited to see Kutch back. So already the chemistry is up. But the chemistry is not entirely up because of the Brian Reynolds situation, which I'm sure you'll want to dive into. Uh, as the episode goes on. So I will hold my comments on that for now. But I mean, overall, I'm seeing a lot of good things. I saw a couple bullpen videos already. And I mean, they're not of anybody notable. I mean, I saw Vince Velasquez, uh, Colin Holderman and Tyler Chatwood throw a bullpen and it got me ramped up for baseball season. So, I mean, overall, it's good to have this feeling starting off whenever things aren't even official yet. Like you said, the full squad workouts start Monday, the 20th. Um, but 
there are a lot of the, the guys down there right now that are just sort of getting used to some of the new faces around there. Some of the starters are there. It is good to see Brian Reynolds down there. Again, I'll hold my comments for when we start to really dive into that. Um, but just an overview. I mean, I, I, I like the fact that everybody's starting to get down there. People are starting to get familiar with each other. Some of the young stars are loving the fact that Kutch is there. Overall, I think it's, it's a very positive atmosphere down there in Braden. Yeah, the vibes are definitely high, except for Brian Reynolds and kind of the dark cloud looming with his situation. I think that's a good place to start. Um, I will say, though, it's a good sign that Reynolds is down at spring training early. Um, I never really had any doubts that he would be someone that would hold out or, you know, not play kind of just be difficult as a player, which is in his right. Um, he once traded, you see a lot of players in a lot of sports just kind of quit on their teams, honestly. So it's nice to see that Reynolds is not one of those people, but yeah, he was asked if the, uh, if his situation has been resolved at all. And he said, no, uh, him and the pirates are still pretty far apart in terms of contract negotiations. And he still, uh, his trade request still stands. So nothing really new. And that's kind of what I've expected, uh, until the pirates either trade him or extend him. He's going to feel the way he does, uh, Still has three years of team control, so there's not really much he could do. But I'm just glad that he's in camp. He's ready to play ball. Um, He's been working out all winter, he said, with Andy Haynes, the hitting coach. So that's good that there's still a relationship there. Uh, He's been at least in contact with the team, um, you know, like coach wise, maybe not management wise, maybe his, like his agent hasn't really been talking uh, to the front office or anything like that in terms of negotiating a contract, but he himself is present with the team. And I think that's a good sign. Um, I don't really think anything's going to get resolved. I don't see the pirates opening up their pockets, Bob nutting, opening up the wallet to give Reynolds the eight year, 120, or so million dollar extension that he wants. The pirates want to give, what was it? Barely over 75 million for Reynolds. And I mean, if I'm Brian Reynolds, that's ridiculous. That's not a good offer at all, but team control three years. He's with the team. We'll see how the season progresses. We'll see if the pirates are competitive at all. If they're competitive, maybe they choose to keep Reynolds throughout the season, but if they aren't competitive, I think Reynolds is the prime trade candidate during, you know, the trade months of July, June, whenever it may be. But uh, other than Reynolds, I mean, I'm 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 all right with how things have looked to to start camp. Yeah, and bouncing off that, uh, just want to bring an update here. Uh, Justice De Los Santos posted literally one hour ago um, that Ben Charrington said there's no update on a on a contract extension for Reynolds and he added that he will continue to leave the door open. Um I'm with you. I don't think anything's going to happen. I feel like Reynolds is going to get shipped off, which sucks to say, but I, I really think that if something were to get done and they really wanted Reynolds here for the long term, they would absolutely do that right now. Um regarding Reynolds's character so far, I mean, I think he's handled handled it very well. Um 
especially with the recent video of Brewers ace Corbin Burns coming out and pretty much saying the relationship. And I know that's a different issue, but the relationship between the Brewers and him are now set are now severed. I mean, Reynolds has all the opportunity in the world to say that right now regarding a contract extension. And if anything, I feel like Reynolds has been, you know, thrown more mud in the face than Burns has with the Brewers. Um, but the fact that he's there, he's there early. He's not holding out. And I know he really can't hold out uh, because he is under team con- team control for the next couple of years. So he's kind of like at the will of the Pirates. And I-, I hate the fact that they're doing this to him. But, I mean, I think Reynolds just kind of understands like, hey, swallow your pride. You're under ke- team control. There's not much you can do. Be a man. Just go out there and do what you can. Maybe a team will come along and offer a big package for you if you're shining throughout the you know the, mo- the majority of the season. If not, then I think Reynolds will kind of learn a lesson saying, look, maybe, you know, the Pirates were, this is the sort of thing that they were looking for. But yeah, I mean, he's been very mature about this entire thing so far. Um, you know, obviously he didn't hide it, which is good. Um, he's very transparent with the media when they asked about it, which we all knew they were going to ask as soon as they got to Bradenton. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know how, like, if I'm, if I'm Reynolds and like if the Pirates, if the pirates keep this open, they keep this facade and charade up that, Hey, the door is open if you want to negotiate, but we're also not going to negotiate. Like if they keep this up, then I understand Reynolds completely. Um, but I mean, I think right now, like I said, Reynolds just has accepted his accepted the fact that he's going to have to play hard in order to get out of Pittsburgh and get the real money that he wants. Um, it sucks to say as a fan and as a, you know, a, somebody who follows the pirates passionately, you know, it, it's kind of sad to say that, Hey, it's coming. It's not now, but it's coming. Um, I really wish that one of the outlets would just come out and say, breaking the pirates and outfielder, Brian Reynolds have agreed on a X number of year, so much dollar figure uh, extension contract. I think that would put us all at ease. And I think that would just really set the tone for the season. But unfortunately, that's not going to happen. Something tells me they're going to try to utilize their money more efficiently. I mean, Brian Reynolds is, what, 26 years old, if I'm not mistaken? Uh, 27, I believe. 27. So I'm sure they'll want to reinvest their money into somebody a little bit younger with a little bit more potentials and or potential. And honestly, I can't disagree with that. Um, I would rather lock up somebody. And now this is you know on the contingency of them actually breaking out this year. I would love to see them spend it on a guy like O'Neill Cruz, Rowanzi Contreras, Mitch Keller, you know, guys who can really make an impact as well, but are much younger in terms of age. And you can't really feel, you can't be mad at the front office for that. Yeah. You can be mad at them for not wanting to lock, lock up their best player right now. But I feel like the long, in the long run, they're going to try to seal up Cruz, Contreras, Keller, maybe somebody else who comes up like um, maybe Nick Gonzalez, if he tears things up, but I mean, that's five whistle Sunday, maybe Tamar Johnson, like, and maybe even Andy, like a lot of people, I think overlook the fact that Andy Rodriguez could be a potential five pool superstar. And yet they're getting all bent out of shape because the pirates aren't utilizing all of their money right now on Reynolds. And I get that to a point, but you got to look at the future. And if we're serious about winning in the future, you got to lock up your better, younger players. And Reynolds, isn't that he's a great player. Don't get me wrong. And our best player in right now, but it's not like he's, you know, it's not like signing him to a 10 year deal would really benefit us or something like that, or even an eight year deal. Like it, this is what happened with, with Hayes, although they got him for a much lower value, which is fair considering Hayes has been hurt a lot. Um, but I think in the long run, it's going to pay off. Unfortunately, not for Reynolds, unless he goes to another team, but 
I think that we just need to accept that. I feel like Reynolds has accepted that. And I, I don't think that an extension is going to happen. Yeah, I agree. And just to reiterate um, the offers, it was the Pirates came with a six-year, $75 million offer, and Reynolds camp countered with $120 million. So that's a pretty large gap. And, uh, yeah, the Pirates can say all they want, that the door is open to negotiate, but they're not really negotiating. They're saying, here's your $75 million, take it or leave it. And if I'm Brian Reynolds, I'm probably betting on myself in that situation. But as we said, three years of control, there's not a lot that can really happen now. So, yeah, I, I agree, though, in, in terms of they, they need to extend someone uh, young in this core. And I, I mean, I would put O'Neill Cruz at the top of that list, even though he's, he has six years of control uh, now, but if they're really serious about keeping him, you know, over the course of a career, and if they really believe that he could be a super duper star, then I mean, I, I wouldn't mind seeing the Wander Franco type deal thrown at O'Neill Cruz. That was 11 years, $182 million. Yeah, it's a huge risk because that's a huge risk for anyone. Um, but it's, it's a huge risk for a guy like Cruz because, yeah, he has all the potential in the world. But there's also a world where he is a 200 career hitter and, you know, he has power and speed, but he is not much more than a two to three win type player, which that kind of contract wouldn't be worth it. But I don't know. I'd be willing to take that risk with O'Neill Cruz because I know the second Cruz becomes a superstar, the negotiations are off. The Pirates have absolutely zero chance of keeping him beyond his free agent years. Uh, the second Cruz compiles even a five win season, I think, because we've seen that already with Brian Reynolds. So yeah, whether it's Cruz uh, it's nice that they have Hayes locked up. You hope that that wasn't the wrong player to lock up. But on a side note, uh, I don't know if you've seen Cabrian Hayes at all in spring training. He's looking pretty beefy. Uh, looks like he he beefed up this offseason. Maybe he's trying to improve those offensive numbers. We would love to see that. Um, but, yeah, whether it's Keller, whether it's Contreras, somebody. I, we need to see somebody locked up at some point because – you can't consistently win by just trying to win, you know, with players that haven't accrued six year service time. You could try to be the Rays, but only the Rays can really be the Rays. Other teams that refuse to spend, like the Royals, you kind of mentioned the Brewers. They're kind of in a no man's land right now where they're not good enough to contend, but they're also not good enough to kind of bottom out. I, I don't know. The whole. I mean, we could talk about it for days and days about the economic structure of Major League Baseball, but I don't know. Um, the Reynolds thing is kind of a bummer, but there's still baseball to be played, so we'll see. Uh, I guess we can move on here to some other spring training things. O'Neill Cruz's comments today, you said we're uh, recording here on Thursday. Very interesting. He is a confident person, and I love to see it. He says that he wants to uh, be a 40-40 guy. And, I mean, I don't know. I mentioned before, if he, if he does anything close to that, then he won't be signed long-term. But what do you, what do you think of Cruz's uh, confidence day one of spring training? 
I like it. And I think we all knew as Pirates fans that he was a very confident player. And I mean, he's got the, all the potential in the world to reach those numbers. Um, but one thing for me is he's got to lower that strikeout rate. If he wants to get anywhere near this, he needs to lower that strikeout rate more and make more consistent contact. Because I mean, last year, like you all just going back to what you said, like if he, he could have all the power and speed in the world, but if he only puts up a two, you know, two, uh, two war number, and he doesn't make consistent contact, then things are going to look bad for him. And he's got a, I mean, I feel bad because I don't want to look at the negatives on all new, all new crews because of all the potential that he has, but it's like, those are his goals. And I wish he would have talked a little bit about what he did to maybe get to those goals or what he's trying to do to meet those goals. You know, it's like me saying, Oh, you know, as a career in a radio path, one thing that I overcome is, or one I struggle with is uh, stuttering on the air. And, you know, I could always come out and say, my goals now are to not stutter. Well, what are you doing to, to not stutter? What are you doing to, to reach that level that you want to be? And I don't doubt for a second that O'Neill Cruz has worked in the off season, but I really want to hear what are some of the things that he's doing? Because if you look at guys like, well, let's start with key Brian Hayes. We saw him working out with Prince Fielder. We saw him get a little bit more muscular. Um, Mitch Keller, we keep seeing tread athletic videos. Like we see them develop and we see them getting better. But O'Neill Cruz, I mean, really all we've done was see him hit piss missiles off of the Dominican league pitchers all season long, which can help to a point, but I want to know what exactly he's doing. I don't doubt for a second that he could reach those numbers, but I'd really like to know how he plans on getting there. What are some of the ways that he's looking to reduce his strikeout rate? Did he add more power, even though I feel like he's maxed out that ability by now just because of the stuff that we've seen? But that's what I really want to see, and I think we'll get that answer as spring training evolves. Yeah, I think the strikeout rate is the key thing for him. Uh, 35% as a rookie in 2022, that's not sustainable to be an all-star level player. Even if he gets it to just barely below 30%, He'd be in much, he'd be in a much better position. But I will remind you, last season that hot streak that he ended the year on, and it was a fairly large sample. His final thirty-two games of the year, uh, from August 29th on to finish the season, he slashed two eighty-five, three fifty-nine on base, slugged five thirty-one, seven home runs, seven doubles, two triples. Um, over 145 plate appearances, so about a fourth, a fourth of a season's worth at worth of at bats. That said, he still struck out 44 times. That's about a third of the time, if my quick math here is is right. Uh, 14 walks. So, yeah, I think for him the strikeouts will be key. But at the same time, I mean, even if he's like a 230 hitter, which that's what he finished the season last year, 233. He could be a 40 home run hitter for sure. And uh, bigger bases, he'll be able to swipe a few as well. He just needs to cut the strikeouts a bit. I would say about 5%. And if he can increase that walk total to maybe 10 to 12%, we'll really be cooking. And a 230 to 250 average will be just enough. The rest of the production will round itself out. And, uh, He'll be he'll be in really solid shape. So I, I'm not too worried about him. I mean, I'm extremely excited to see what he brings to the season this year. What are your thoughts on Brian Hayes, though? Looking looking pretty big 
it seems, heading into spring training. I thought that was pretty interesting. And I'm interested to kind of watch his at-bats early in spring training to see if there's been any major adjustments from the first few seasons uh, of his career. Yeah, I'm impressed with him, too. Uh, this is the second offseason in a row that he's really focused on improving his power and physique a little bit. Um, like I said, with him showing in that picture with Prince Fielder, I feel like he may have taken some hitting lessons from him, possibly some others. But like you, I'm also excited to see what exactly he does in his early um, early spring training at-bats to see if he can really mix that contact with power because I feel like Key Brian Hayes could be a really underrated hitter in the league. But he's just got to pick up that, you know, he's got um, really improve after last season because he really struggled last year to get anything going offensively. I don't want to say that he should be more of a contact hitter. I feel like he'd be more comfortable that way. Obviously, it's not my area to judge. But, you know, I mean, last year we saw him focus on power and he struggled a little bit. Um, but, again, he could have put in the work in the offseason to adjust that a little bit. And I think once he gets back into seeing some major league pitching, I think he'll be fine. We could maybe chalk last year up as, like, a tough transition period for him. And this year will be a little bit better, but yeah, I'm excited to see him. Um, you know, it, it's always nice whenever a player comes back from the off season and uh, you know, they look bigger, they look stronger, they look more agile and ready to play. Um, and I feel like he, he can do that. Um, it's good to see that he focused more of his offense instead of his defense, knowing that his defense is already stellar. So he's just trying to, improve one area that he really lacked on. Yeah, I agree. And I, I would chalk up injury a little bit to last year's uh, struggles because the shoulder was an issue. And in the year before that, the wrist was an issue. So I think for him, the the key thing is he just needs to have a clean, full season of good health. And then we'll really be able to see what, what his uh, potential is offensively. And, I've said this a million times. If he can just be a league average to slightly above average hitter, he's an all-star. So I'm excited to see what he can do. Um, I'm excited to see kind of how the whole team meshes. Honestly, it seems like the vibes are high. Everyone is really gravitated around McCutcheon, like you said, and we'll see, we'll see kind of what that does for team chemistry, culture, all of the non analytical things that you can kind of try to judge a team by uh i'm excited to see how everything rounds out i guess too and i was thinking about this in terms of spring training this year and i was i was kind of thinking about what are like some of the main storylines that, that we need to watch and there's there's nothing that really kind of jumps out to me in terms of position battles you look at it uh austin hedges is going to be the catcher the pirates may have signed their backup catcher this week in Kevin Plaecki, but maybe maybe the backup catcher role, there will be a slight competition between him and Heineman. Who knows? Uh, I don't see Andy Rodriguez being with the team in April because the Pirates don't love fun, but that's neither here nor there. But in terms of position battles, maybe backup catcher, maybe second base. We'll see. I think Rodolfo Castro should have the starting job, but We'll see if uh, someone like Bay has anything to say about that. Perhaps Bay and uh, someone in a corner outfield spot, maybe Swinsky. Maybe there's a little bit of a battle there. I see Bay as the utility guy, though, honestly. Uh, the pitching rotation, the starting rotation, I think the five is set. I don't love having Vince Velasquez as the fifth starter, but that's probably 
going to be what happens with obviously Contreras, Keller, Brubaker, and Rich Hill as the top four. I love the starting pitching depth. Um, you know, Oviedo is probably going to start the year in AAA. He was pretty solid to end the season last year as a starter. Same with Luis Ortiz. And we'll get to see Mike Burroughs eventually. So you always hear that starting rotation needs to have seven, eight, nine starting pitchers over the course of a full season. I feel like the depth is pretty strong in that department for the Pirates. Even Quinn Priester we might see at some point. Um, but I'm just thinking maybe maybe the big competition this spring training will be kind of how the bullpen shakes out because you have Bednar, you have others, but I don't know. We'll see. Uh, is there any spring training roster battles that you've kind of been thinking about? And am I missing anything here? Because I feel like everything is mostly in place. For the most part, I think it is, but I have set my entire mind, focus, patience, and drive all on the competition for the backup catcher role. I don't know why, but I think it's just such a stupid competition to have that it makes it intriguing. Um, personally, I don't want Tyler Heineman back there. Um, I, I mean, it's not like it's not like we're getting much of an upgrade with Plowicki, but at least where it's it's something new. Maybe a change of scenery will change will change him a little bit. Um, but God, it's just so bad. But I mean, if I had to pick one, uh, first I'll agree with you. Jiwan Bay, I think is absolutely the utility man. I think he is this generation's Josh Harrison. Um, just because of his ability to play pretty much everywhere and play it well. A lot of people have said they liked him in center field. Um, he can play infield too. Um, he can hit pretty well. So I think he's the next Josh Harrison in a way. Um, I don't want to go and say that the fifth spot in the rotation is locked up. Who knows? Maybe if like Luis Ortiz or Johan Oviedo, or even if in some perfect world, Quinn Priester have an outstanding season or preseason, uh, maybe they could be breaking the opening day roster. I have a funny feeling that it's going to be one rookie that nobody expected cracking, cracking the opening day roster like last year with Diego Castillo. Yeah, that didn't work out too well, but Diego Castillo wasn't a really, <laughs> it's not like a lot of people expected much out of him. Um, but I, I think that battle for the fifth spot is still wide open. Um, other than that, the main four are definitely settled. Uh, I'm also looking to see where some of the bullpen depth lies because, I mean, some of the guys we signed in the offseason, the minor league deals, such as Chatwood, I think watching him is going to be interesting to see if he could earn a middle a middle relief spot. Um, trying to think of some others. I do think in a way maybe that corner outfield spot is for is up for uh, is up for grabs. Um, but I, I really don't know if Sawinski is, they're going to give up on him just yet, especially with him and Connor Joe out there and left. I feel like they're going to more or less direct left field to Joe and, um, Sawinski. Um, Koch, I feel like he's going to play more right field Reynolds. Well, DH two, uh, Reynolds will be in center. Um, that's pretty much it. I mean, second base. Yeah. We could maybe put a little bit of a competition there, but I like you, I think Rodolfo Castro has earned it. I think he is most likely going to get awarded the position. Um, in a way I'm kind of excited about the first base battle. Um, I, I don't know why, but I feel like it's going to be G man Choi going up against guys like maybe Mason Martin and Jacob Gonzalez, like guys who are not ready for MLB yet, but I think they're going to make it interesting. 
Um, last spring, Mason Martin gave a couple of shots that turned some heads. So I think that's pretty much it. Like, like you though, there aren't many competitions I see. I think a lot of things are falling into place. Yeah, I guess maybe like one of the last bench spots, there might be some sort of competition because even you look at the bench, I feel like it's pretty much, you're going to have a backup catcher. That's one of the five bench spots. You're going to have, um, the DH type of role, like Santana, Choi, McCutcheon, um, you know, one of those three counts as a bench spot. Connor Joe has a spot. He's going to probably start on the bench. Um, Bay, I would assume. Well, maybe maybe there's a Bay to Capito Marcano type competition for a bench spot. And then maybe one other bench spot. So, yeah, I guess we'll see. Um I do want to take some time to talk about the World Baseball Classic a little bit. Uh, I'm, I don't know how you feel about the World Baseball Classic, but I'm pretty excited to, to watch it. It starts March 7th. It's only two weeks. Uh, goes through the 21st. But three Pirates, well, three guaranteed on the Major League roster Pirates will be in it. David Bednar for Team USA. Rowanzi Contreras will be starting for the Dominican Republic, which I find that to be that that's a fun opportunity for him. Your guy, Dwayne Underwood Jr. will be coming out of the bullpen for Puerto Rico and uh, Harlan Garcia, I believe also is with the Dominican. Um, Any thoughts on Buccos in the world baseball classic? I'm kind of nervous. Um, I'm nervous for the reason that, you know, one pitch in this world baseball classic and, you know, one of these guys could go down for the year. And I'm more concerned about it with uh, Bednar and Rowanzi, especially Rowanzi. Um, you know, with, with those two being pretty much one of the top five pitchers in our on our team right now, like just risking the fact that they could even undergo Tommy John surgery because of an out-of-season tournament, um, that scares me a little bit. But as the World Baseball Classic as a whole, I think it's exciting. And I have been very anxious in a good way for it all season long, offseason that is. Um, it's good to see it returning. I just feel like it brings it brings nations together, almost like the World Cup kind of does. I mean, obviously, there's no no tournament that can match the style of anticipation like like the World Cup. But I think the World Baseball Classic is a close second. Um, I mean, we saw – how many times have we seen the, the just – multiple highlights from recent years about like uh, Adam Jones uh, stealing Manny Machado. Was it Machado or was it? Yeah, that was fun to watch. Um, But I mean, from a team standpoint, from a fan standpoint, as a Pirates fan, I'm nervous, but as a baseball enthusiast, I love the world baseball classic. I love, and I think it gives some exposure to some of the guys across the, you know, across the globe to these major league coaches, to some major league scouts, you know, I feel like sometimes we're going to see maybe some of these guys sign to uh, maybe a top contender if they really shine out or maybe some guy who does OK, but gets signed to like a bottom feeder in the MLB. Like, I think it's a good way to get them some exposure. Yeah. And I honestly, I agree with you 100 percent. I kind of I, I'm a tad worried that, of course, the only players the Pirates are sending to the World Baseball Classic are pitchers. That's just classic. But on the other hand, I do think it's interesting, especially for someone like Rowan Contreras. 
He's pitching for the Dominican Republic, who are the favorites uh, to win the World Baseball Classic. The U.S. is the second highest favorite with uh, Bednar there. But I think it'll be interesting to see, health permitting, you just you just hope that the health is fine. There's going to be some tough innings for Contreras to pitch at some point during this tournament. And I'm interested to see how he reacts. It'll be kind of like a playoff atmosphere, I would say. And putting players, young players especially, in positions like that, I feel like can go a long way into helping them develop when, you know, when starts matter the most. So I'm excited to see, specifically with Contreras, how he performs in the World Baseball Classic. Benmar, too. There might be a high-stakes seventh, eighth inning that Bednar comes in and he needs three outs. I mean, what's higher stakes than trying to win gold for your country? Probably a World Series. But that said, um, I think that'll be that'll be fun to watch. I'm just looking at the list of total Pirates, like within the organization in the World Baseball Classic, and the one that catches my eye is uh, Tanaj Thomas will be pitching for Great Britain. So we'll see how he does as well. There's a whole list of pirates that 13 players participating in the world baseball classic. Most of these names, the average fan has not ever heard of, but we'll see what happens. Um, Like you said, though, injury is the highest of concerns, but I think the value of getting high intensity reps, you know, the experience of high leverage outings, I feel like that will help in the long run if the Pirates are ever good again. And, you know, we'll see. Yeah, I agree with you. And, like, I don't want it to seem like I don't like the fact that Pirates players are in the World Baseball Classic. I think it's great. But, I mean, like you said, <laughs> all pitchers. And that just ain't, that pops the anxiety. But I, I find it insulting that you don't think I know who Rob Zestrini is. I find it insulting. <laughs> like just some of the- I don't know who Rob Zestrini is. He's pitching for Team Canada, and we signed him on a minor league deal. I saw that. I'm like, you know what? He's got my vote for World Baseball Classic MVP because why not? Um, but but overall, I mean, it is good. I It would be awesome to see David Bednar come in, renegade playing in the World Baseball Classic in, like, the championship oh. game, um, either in, like, a middle relief or setup or even a closer role. Yeah, and Rowansi, I mean, if he dominates in the World Baseball Classic, he's going to turn some heads in the MLB as well. Yeah, I mean, your concerns for injury is probably the highest on my list of, you know, my feelings towards Pirates in the World Baseball Classic. But if you if they, if they can just get through it cleanly, I think the experience overall will uh, will be a positive. All right, one thing I wanted to talk about before we get out of here is uh, some of the 2023 MLB rule changes. And I don't know if you saw the other day, pretty much every reporter under the sun was uh, tweeting out pictures of bases being slightly bigger than the old bases, which was, uh, which I thought that was pretty funny, but the new roles this season, obviously the shift we've talked about how the pirates kind of picked up players that got shifted a lot, whether it's Troy, whether it's McCutcheon, they won't be able to be shifted quite like they were two infielders need to be on both sides of second base (laughs) infielders can't run before the pitch over to the other side to try to get in position um, 
you know, you can't really bypass that rule in the spirit of it, which I think is good. I'm excited for the anti-shift. I used to be totally on board with the shift, but, you know, it's easy to say, why don't you just hit a ground ball to third base? Players obviously can't do that, so let's just increase offense. I don't care. Another new rule is the pitch clock. This should, you know, help move the game along a little faster. Pace of play is always a huge deal. Pitchers will have 15 seconds to throw the pitch with bases empty, 20 seconds with a runner on base. So if they don't pitch in time, I believe a a ball will be charged to them. So that should be good to increase pace of play. Pickoffs. This is kind of the low-key one. You can only pick off twice per per at-bat per runner on. If you do it, do it a third time, you get a buck, and they're calling it disengagement, which basically means a pitcher can step off of the rubber, rubber twice. So there's that, and there's also the bigger bases. So which one of these rules kind of uh, stuck out to you the most? Um, probably the pitch clock, because I think it's a good implementation for the game. Um, after attending some minor league games last year and kind of seeing how the pitch clock worked and – Noticing that the pitchers seem to respond to it pretty well, um, I'm really excited for that. Um, it does increase pace of play. I don't care what anybody says. Um, when I was younger, I would always go to a minor league game, and it would last like three and a half, four hours sometimes. But with the pitch clock, it reduced the time drastically. Um, I think it's great. Um, that pretty much sticks out to me the most. I think the one that I have to balk at the most, no pun intended, is the balk roll. Um I feel like, well, the box slash pickoff, I should say. Um, I don't know about that. I mean, I like the fact, because now you don't see pitchers throwing it over five times every time somebody's on, especially a high base dealer. But I, I just think calling it a Bach is kind of, it's kind of weird. I mean, I, I don't know. It's They call it disengagement, but there's a there's a set parameter for disengaging the rubber and making a pickoff move which we've seen through years. So I, I think now they're just kind of blurring the lines about that just to instill a rule for the MLB to maybe limit pace of play. Um, so that one made me scratch my head a little bit. The bigger bases, I was questioning it at first, like, what's the purpose of it? Um, <laughs> I, I thought it was kind of dumb at first, but then I saw them, they're like, hey, it'll reduce injuries. It'll give them a wider area to you know hit the base pass. And then I thought about it, Maybe then we won't see another Cabrian Hayes incident wherever he goes to round first on a home run and then he gets called out because he didn't touch the base. <laughs> You'll never forget that. <laughs> no, that was that was something I never thought I would ever see in my lifetime. But um, if I had to rank them one to three with one being the best rule implementation, definitely go with the pitch clock first, followed by the bases, and then the pickoff rule. What about the shift? Oh, that's true. I totally forgot about the shift. Probably because we've been talking about it all season long or all off season, so it's kind of just been there. I would have to put that in between the pitch clock and the bigger bases. Um, I think it's going to benefit hitters like Carlos Santana, tenfold, maybe even Joey Gallo as well. Um, it's not going to allow people to shift on guys like O'Neill Cruz. So it'll make it a little bit more competitive for them to get him out at first. I was kind of a fan of the shift at first. I thought it made things a little bit more competitive. And in my head, the best way to beat the shift where the third baseman is playing at shortstop is bunt down third. I I mean, I always thought of that and it just, it puzzled me why no, not many teams did that. But I guess looking back on it in terms of equaling out the competitive field, I think it, it does 
the game a service. And I mean, this is the, the, the trial run for it. I pretty much, I have a funny feeling that it's going to look a little bit like pitching machine at first. We're going to see some errors on the defensive side mentally where they're going to forget about that arm release role. But in terms of like pitching machine, remember how you had to have the coach say ball in before feeding it through. And that's when everybody moved. I'm getting off topic, but I think it's, there's going to be a couple uh, kinks to work out at first. Yeah, I agree. And I agree with you also that when the shift was kind of uh, revolutionizing the game in the early 2010s, I was all for it. And I was against banning the shift until probably about last year. But if it increases offense, I'm fine with that. The pitchers get every possible advantage they can. So any advantage that the hitters can get, I'm for. And that's also why I'm for the uh, the pickoff rule. I, I'd like to see more stolen bases. I think that will be kind of a, um, a side effect of that because if a pitcher uses up their pickoffs, that's it. I mean, open season, the runner can get any type of jump they want to steal a base. So that'll be fun to see. Bigger bases should also increase stolen bases. So, heck, 40-40, if Cruz could get 40 home runs, 40 stolen bases might not be nearly as hard as it used to be. So I'm excited to see how that works out. And, yeah, with the pitch clock, I'm fine with it. There's nothing worse than seeing a pitcher just drag a game along, just taking 45 seconds to a minute in between pitches. Francisco Liriano was the king of that back in the day with the Pirates, you know, five, 10 years back. But uh, I'm cool with that. And the thing with a lot of these rules is a lot of these players have already played with them, especially with the pitch clock. A lot of young pitchers have, you know, been in leagues that in, implemented the pitch clock. So it shouldn't be a huge transition. Maybe for someone older, it, it might take a little more getting used to, but I mean, get used to it. We need to see two and a half hour to three hour games, not four hour games. So I'm fine with that. One other rule change that I forgot to mention is that there's a new role regarding position players pitching we saw over the past few years, especially with the Pirates, that position player pitching kind of got out of hand. I mean, who's the guy that played all eight positions on the Pirates last year? Josh Van Meter. Yes. How could I forget Josh Van Meter? <laughs> yeah, not as much uh, p- position players pitching. Teams will be more limited when it comes to um, – Pitching with a position player. Previous rule allowed them to use one when up or down six runs. I didn't even know that. But now, um, to have a position player pitch, you either have to be winning by 10 or more runs or trailing by eight or more runs in order to toss out a position player. So it's definitely still going to be a thing, but just maybe to a lesser extent. Yeah, and I'm totally fine with that. They should just deem it the Pittsburgh Pirates role. Um, Honestly. <laughs> I mean, literally. I mean, how many games last year were we getting either crushed or in the rare instance that it was, we were on the positive side. No, we were getting crushed. Yeah, and we brought in guys to come in and pitch. I mean, for God's sakes, Albert Pujols pitched last year. Um, Josh Van Meter, he pretty much qualified for a ton of pitching stats because of the amount of appearances he got on the mound. I'm all for that. Do I think it's really going to change much? Not really. 
Because, I mean, you can limit these position players' pitching role, but you can't limit what teams do to other teams in the late goings of the game. And if you need to bring in a, a pitcher to or a pl- position player to pitch, it's going to happen. I don't. I don't know. I, I like. I said. I don't think it's going to really do too much to the game, but it's, it might have a helping hand in it. In honor of the position player pitching role, I'm going to read you Josh Van Meter's pitching line from the 2022 season: three games, three innings pitched, no strikeouts, a 39.0 ERA. And if you want to get analytical here, Josh Van Meter was a bit unlucky. Uh, his xFIP was 10.05. But in terms of F war, zero minus zero point three. There was one pitcher worse for the Pirates last year in terms of F war. Do you care to take a guess as to who it was? You'll get a kick out of it regardless. Hmm. Can I have a hint? Is it a starter or a reliever? Uh, I'll give you a hint. It is an actual pitcher. It's not a position player, and yeah, it's a reliever. Hmm. Is it? Oh my God! I have to think now through all the pictures that we saw. I'll give you one more hint. I'll give you one more hint. He was given okay. a major league contract. Oh my God! Um, <clears throat> at the, oh my God! Was he DFA'd at all? Yeah, he was. He was gone pretty early in the season. Oh, uh, Heath Henry. Yes. <laughs> Minus zero point seven. He uh, <laughs> sixteen and a third, seven one six ERA. The Heath Henry experiment did not go too well, but that's that. All right, Jake, is there anything else you wanted to talk about on this podcast before we get on out of here? We will be back next week, and uh, we'll be talking some buckos. We'll see what happens with spring training here as the weeks go on. But, uh, yeah, Jake, it's been a pleasure as always. Everyone, thank you for listening, and we'll be back. Have a good one.